throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. Now, you think about this, that they had peace. And you look at some of the turmoil that was going on that we've already seen in the book of Acts. Peter and John, don't, don't teach in this name anymore. People are going to be locked up. People are going to be beaten. But it says here that the churches throughout Judea, Galilee, Galilee, I'm sorry, and Samaria had peace and were edified. <laughs> well, part of the edification process, God says that he had put gifts in the, in the, in the body. And, and the gifts right there, John and Peter and eventually Paul, uh, the rest of the disciples. And we saw Philip coming up in there. He's one of those gifts. And we saw Stephen there too. And they're receiving from these gifts and they are being edified. And there is peace. Now, whether there is a lack of turmoil amongst the things going on around them or not, we don't know. But there are peace. It's a good thing when the, all stuff around you is kind of wreaking havoc. And you're at peace. Amen. And throughout the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, they had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Now, there's other places that you can walk beside the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to obey his commands, to do what he says to do. You could also not do that. You could also not obey his commands or do what his word says. And then you would not be walking in the fear of the Lord. You'd be not fearing the Lord. Why is it that people run stop signs and red lights and speed? They don't have a fear of the police. They don't have a fear of being stopped. Or if they do, they don't really care about the ticket that they'll get. But uh, if, you, if you get stopped and you pay a, a good fee... For being stopped, you'll have some fear put in you. And you'll uh, tend to obey out of that fear that something might come along. Well, we, we realize that when God says, thou shalt not, that there's a reason for it. And when he says, do this, we find out there's a reason for it. And we do it because we have a fear and respect for the things that he says. And it's for our well-being. So they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's other things the Holy Spirit can do besides comfort us. He can um, correct us. Comfort's better than correction. We're not always comforted in the correcting part. We might get comforted afterward, but they uh, apparently didn't need to be uh, corrected because they're walking in the fear of the Lord. So the Holy Spirit can come along and comfort. If your relationship with the Holy Spirit isn't what it should be, it could be because your walk isn't right. Get your walk right, and your relationship with the Holy Spirit can change. He won't have to be so much in the corrective spot. He can be more in the comfort area. And it says they were multiplied. Well, we're going to look at some of the things that went about in their multiplication and what we can learn from it. Verse 32, now it came to pass. That's a fun phrase in the Word of God. If you ever want to have a fun search on that, just now it came to pass and see what came to pass. As Peter went throughout all parts of the country, that he also came down to the saints who dwelled in Lydda. Now, this is also known to us as the city of Lod. In the Old Testament, this is where it will show up. And then later on, it's going to show up as, as that as well. This city would eventually be destroyed by the Romans. And uh, it would be burned as well as uh, Joppa. But we'll get to, I got the details of that later on here. We'll give those to you. But he came down to the saints who dwelt at Lydda. And he found a certain man named Aeneas. Now, whenever the Word of God talks about a certain person, a certain woman, or a certain man, they're there for a, they're, there's a particular thing about them. There's something unique. There's something important. And this particular man's healing set up a revival in the area. And that's why he is a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. Now, he's a man, so he's not eight years old. So he's older than eight, probably older than 10, <laughs> probably older than 20. We don't know how old he is, but he is a man and he's older than that. But for the last eight years, he has been paralyzed, which would tell us that more than likely he is paralyzed because of an injury. I'm sure that there's maybe a disease that can paralyze you as well, but it would seem 
from the uh, lack of any discussion of, it, of a disease that he was injured. And he was brought to a place of paralysis or brought to a place where he was paralyzed. It seemed like his arms and his, his legs are probably involved. At least his legs, he's not walking around. But he's paralyzed, bedridden, as the Bible tells us. He is, he is stuck in a place of bed. I think the best assumption is that he was injured, but I can't say that 100% that that's what it was that caused him to, to be this way. But more than likely, paralysis in, in this way, uh, there is a, there is a, in the New Testament, in Jesus' ministry, there was someone in, who was, uh, uh, sick in bed and laid up because of, uh, palsy, as they called it. It was a disease. That was the, uh, centurion, his servant, I believe it was. Who was, who was done that way. But there are specifically mentions that it was the palsy that had done this and had brought him to, to that. We do have a few diseases that do bring paralysis. Um, Lou Gehrig's disease, I guess, is one, and um, polo, polio and some things like this. But again, no disease is mentioned. And usually in the other cases, the disease was also mentioned or that he was sick or became paralyzed, such things like that. But for eight years, he's been paralyzed. Now, if you're paralyzed, you, don't have, you can't work. So if you can't work, what do you do? You beg. So he was probably for the last eight years being put someplace to beg of alms, just like the the lame man who was at the Gate Beautiful. Now, he was a little more prominent case, and he was given one of the best places to beg by the city. The city had probably granted him that. This is his spot. This is the place where he gets to go because he's been this way for so long or whatever the case was that he was there. We don't know what his spot was. We're not really brought attention to it, but... We are brought to his name, Emmaus, and that he was bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. So over those eight years, which certainly overlapped the ministry of Jesus and the other disciples as they went about things, he still survived as a, as a paralyzed person for whatever the reason. Just like the lame man who was in front of the gate also survived the ministry of Jesus, the ministry of the disciples up until that point, until he was uh, raised up healed. There can be all kinds of reasons for that. Sometimes they're just not in a place to uh, draw off of anything. Sometimes there may be something got in his head about Jesus. We don't know what it was. But what we do know is that he didn't get there. If he had been in a place when he was able to receive, what would Jesus have done? He would have healed him. But something was going on there. So there he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. Now it's interesting to say that Peter found him. It doesn't say the man was looking upon him. It doesn't say Peter stumbled upon him. It says that he found him. So he must have been somewhat of a well-known case. And it seems that Peter went after this thing. One of the uh, people that came out to Ramah when we were there is a brother named Lester Sumrall. Some of you may be familiar with him. And when he would go into some of the f- foreign countries and some of the things that were going on, they would have demon-possessed people who would make the paper. Because the things that were going on there were so incredible. I believe uh, we brought some of the videos into some of those things. The uh, invisible boy, uh, the girl with the bites, and so forth. And I mean, they were astounding cases. These were things that made the front page. And so uh, he went after them. Because, you know, if you free up these people from these things, the country is affected. If they made the paper as being sick, they're going to make the paper once they get well. And this gave the name of Jesus quite a bit of... Uh, Publicity in those places. It may be that Peter saw the same opportunity here. But it does say very clearly that he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. I left out the in your outline there, but it should be Jesus the Christ. That's how he said it. Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. Now, the word here, make your bed, may be confusing to us. Why would you make your bed? It, uh, it's, it's a phrase I'm told from the word. I put some of the meanings for it in the, in the Bible. It can mean, or in your outline, it can mean to roll it up, take your mat, roll it up, and put it away. That's one meaning that it could be. Here's another one. I looked this up. I could not find this myself, but I have it on authority of some, some very strong Greek aids that I lean on a lot. So I will trust their knowledge of Greek far more than I trust mine. And they said that this is also talked about, it can be, can be speaking of preparing a meal. And the reference that they gave for this is Mark fourteen fifteen parallel passage in Luke twenty two twelve. 
when they were preparing the Passover meal. Now, when I looked it up, I saw it referenced a different word than the actual preparation of the meal. But again, I'll, I'll lean on uh, those guys. That's something that they had thrown out. Another place where it's used is in Mark chapter 11, verse 8. This is when they spread their clothes and they spread the palms. It's used twice. It's talking about them spreading out their clothes for Jesus' uh, cult to, to walk on and, the, and the, the palms on there. So that's what this word here is. So he says to him, Jesus the Christ heals you. I heard from one person that this was, this was past tense. I looked it up. It's not. It's present. They did translate it correctly here. It is present. I, I looked it up every which way to Friday. And I can't find any other interpretation of this but that it's present tense. So um, it might be something in the participle, again, that uh, maybe somebody found, but I haven't found any other uh, Greek sources that repeat, re- repeat this as being anything other than present tense. Arise, make your bed. Then he arose. Then he arose immediately. So it says that Jesus, the Christ, heals you. Now he does not take authority over sickness and disease. Sickness and disease is not there. As far as we know, there is no sickness and disease for this. There are a number of reasons for people to become ill, sick lame, and so forth. Uh, one is sickness and disease. And that is certainly the most prominent thing we see in the Bible is Jesus dealing with sickness and disease. A second one is injury. And a third is a born into condition or def- deformant. Those are the three things that we'll see in the Word of God as far as what people had and Jesus had confronted. Jesus confronted people who had conditions that they were born into. It was not because of a disease. They were born blind. They were born lame. They were born into a condition. They were born missing a limb maybe. Uh, whatever it might be, they were born into the condition or they came into that state of being. The man with the withered hand is one who had been injured. The withered hand was a result of an injury. That we have from the uh, Jewish scholars of the day who recorded a little bit more about the man, that he was a a victim of an injury. I believe, if I remember right, he was a bricklayer. And you could kind of think of how uh, injuries could happen with that in which your hand would become withered. So... Uh, that's one injury, one injury that we have. And Jesus dealt with him uh, as well. But again, when Jesus dealt with the man with the withered hand, he didn't say, didn't take authority over the sickness and disease. He says, just said, stretch forth your hand. He told him to do something. And uh, something that he couldn't do. He was injured. This man was injured. And Peter tells him something to do that he cannot do. He's paralyzed. He's bedridden. He can't do anything. His, his extent of begging is just laying there, letting people see how bad a condition he is in. And uh, they feel bad and they, they give him something. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Now again, Peter came to find him. And he found a certain man. It means he's looking for someone. Where is Aeneas? Where is that guy who got hurt? Where is that guy that all the town knows about? Where is that guy... He's over there. He, he found a certain man named Aeneas who had been, that was that part, past tense, <laughs> who had been bedridden eight years and was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. This is an actual healing going on through the name of Jesus, not an authority over sickness and disease. But Jesus right now, he says, heals you. Some renditions put it this way. Jesus is now healing you. Arise and make your bed. Now you you come up to some people who are lame, paralyzed, somehow incapacitated because of either sickness, disease, injury, or a condition they were born into. And if you tell them, so-and-so Jesus heals you, arise, they'd say, I can't. And they'd stay there. There are some now moments... In our life. And if we don't act on them. We will lose an opportunity. Jesus came upon the man who was at the the pool of Bethesda. And he said to him. Of all the people he only came to this one. And he talked to him a little bit. And he says. "Uh, You know I would to get in the pool. And Jesus doesn't contend that the angel comes down and stirs up the water. But he says when when the angel comes down and stirs up the water. The first one in the pool gets healed. Which means. 
And this happened an awful, an awful lot of times so that people continually came to the pool. This doesn't sound like it's something that happens once a year. It happened on a regular basis. They came every day. This man came every day to the pool. And when the surface of the water stirred, the first one in the pool was healed. Can you imagine being a lame person going into a pool of water? <laughs> or how about a completely paralyzed person going into the water? That's a, that's a bad thing. If you weren't the first one, that could be a bad situation. So you got to act. You got to do something. You got to move when that command comes out. But too many times people are waiting for something. They want to feel something. They want to see something. Well, I'll do that, but let me first feel. There isn't any of that going on in any of these situations in the Word of God. There was a command, and, a, and they needed to move. Peter and John came up to the man at the gate, and they said, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And they grabbed him by the hand, and he leaped. He leaped. Didn't just say he, they pulled him up. They grabbed him by the hand, but it does say that he leaped. Now, he couldn't do that, but he did it. There are some times that God is going to put you in a position where you need to move immediately. And your lack of movement, it's over. It isn't like you can come back tomorrow. You need to go. You need to do it. You ever, I, I believe it's Rodney Howard Brown who will go out to some of his meetings. Have you, have you ever watched some of his stuff on... on uh, on uh, TV or I mean he goes overseas he has these huge meetings I think it was I think it was Rodney Howard I might have the wrong might be um, it might be Reinhard Bunke it's going to be one of those two guys I don't remember exactly who it was but I was listening to him and they were talking about going into some of these places and they said the spirit of God would move or he would just stir up the spirit of God to move and he would tell them the first person down here to the front gets healed now, you do that in some churches in America, and nobody moves. But you do it in certain countries out there, you've got to stampede. Why is that? How sad is that, huh? We need to, first off, be ready ourselves that when we are challenged by God to move, we move. Not waiting to see all the stuff that lines up. Just move. We need to hear from the Spirit of God on it and go. That the call is there. And we need to step out. And we need as ministers, as Peter does here and did before and Jesus did, we need to put that call into somebody. And we need to be willing, willing to say, stand up. And understand that if they don't, then you can declare to them what they did. Because sometimes, I, I think, I, I, Brother Hagen, I think, did something along these lines. Where he told somebody, in a meeting, I think it was uh, him that was relating the story. It may have been someone else. But I told somebody in a meeting, um, basically, I, I don't remember all the words, but basically, stand up. And they said, I can't. And they said, no, and, and neither will you. And that was it, and they moved on. See, too many times, folks, we're sitting there, we're, we're, we're evaluating everything too much. You get under the anointing of God, you get into a meeting. And Jesus, when he's at the pool, Bethesda, there's no meeting going on. He just speaks it. No, get up now. There's no meeting going on here with Peter. He's looking to start one. <laughs> but there isn't one going on right now. When he goes over to the gate, he's, he's going into the temple. We're going to a meeting and we run into this guy. And he, he goes. But speaking under the anointing of God makes a call. And all that needed to happen was that person needed to respond. The woman with the issue of blood. She knew what she had to act on. No meeting going on. She just acted on it. And it happened. There is a power of God that comes simply because we act in faith in what we hear. And we need to be ready for it. Besides being ready ourselves to step into that, we need to be ready and be bold enough to make that challenge to the people. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise, make your bed. Then he arose immediately. Immediately. I got to tell you, I can't see a whole lot of people who would do that, who are in bad conditions. Most of the time that I have talked with people that are in 
in dire conditions are so wrapped up in their dire conditions that if you tell them to do something outside of the normal, they aren't ready to do it. We had an opportunity to minister to someone some time ago, and they were stuck in a situation, in a, in a, in a situation where they needed the power of God to minister in their life. And uh, we saw an opportunity, not, not for us praying on them or anything like that, just um, uh, challenging them. And we challenged them to do something. And they simply said, no, we've gone that way before and it hasn't worked. And we could show them in the word of God. It's done here. 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 No. Well, there's not much you can do for those people. They'll die in their conditions. Can you help them? Yeah, if they would do something. We're sometimes so caught up in what has happened in the past that we're not ready to move into the the future. We're not ready to move forward. If this man was so caught up in his injury, if he was so caught up in the thing that had hurt him, and the challenge came, you can do this. No, I can't. Uh, God needs to do something first. But Peter says this to him. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. Right now, Jesus the Christ, as one, per, as one translator put it, is healing you. Arise. There's an instant where that man is in faith. And if he's not, he's in disobedience. If you're in disobedience, you're going to receive from God? Uh-uh. Be careful. Be watchful. Because there are going to be times that something that you are trying to get over, God is going to give you a, a, a thing to do. You better be ready to move. Have yourself built up that when you hear, you will do it. God may say, sow this, give this, do this, say this, whatever it might be. And when the Spirit of God comes and he says that, you need to be ready to do it. Not even thinking about what's, <laughs> what's on the other side. Just, well, God told me to do this. And you did it. And you'll, you'll see the results of that. So here's a guy injured. Jesus the Christ heals you. Arise and make your bed. Then he arose immediately. So all who dwelt in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. So here's this guy. He's been lame, sitting around there for eight years. And now he's walking around. He's touring with Peter. We're going around the city. He couldn't walk for eight years. And now he's walking all over the place. Not getting tired. He's walking all over the city. He's walking all over... Uh, Lydda, Sharon, they all saw him. He said, hey, remember me? I used to be lame. Again, Peter looked for a certain man and he found him. This is what he's expecting. We want to impact the places where we work. If we want to impact the places where we live, if we want to impact the places where God has us, we need to be willing to find Aeneas. Look for them. Seek them out. And then take them on tour. <laughs> Jesus didn't take everybody on tour. Some people, he said, no, be quiet. But he didn't say that to everybody. And there's a rhyme or reason that's why he said it to certain ones. So Aeneas acted immediately, and a great revival <clears throat> followed. Verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. <clears throat> this woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So she's at Joppa, which is called Jaffo in Joshua 19, verse 46. You'll, if you look that up, you'll see that. It was the only seaport halfway, or it was the only seaport between Haifa and the borders of Egypt. The only one. It's about 10 miles away from where he is right now. Right now, this city is merely a suburb of Tel Aviv. It's still there. But it's merely a suburb of Tel Aviv. This is where Jonah boarded the ship when he fled from the mission that God gave him. Now, Tabitha is an Aramaic name. She's also known as Dorcas, which is a Greek name. What are we leaving out? Her Hebrew name, which would tell us she's probably not Hebrew. (laughs) She don't have a Hebrew name. (laughs) If she was Hebrew, mom and dad would have given her a Hebrew name. So we have Tabitha. And Dorcas. The name Dorcas means gazelle. And it became a symbol of gracefulness. Ever seen those gazelles run on the National Geographic? Just graceful, just smooth running. 
fast and smooth. Well, she is well. She is known by her Greek name more than her Aramaic name. It may indicate that she was a Hellenistic Jew, a, a Greek Jew, a, a, a Greek who became Jew. And that's why she doesn't have a Greek name or a Hebrew name. If she was a Hellenistic Jew, she was probably, just the odds are, wealthy and well-educated. That's just the odds are. We don't know that for sure, but one indication is going to show us that she is wealthy. We're going to see that a little bit later here in the story. So it says... There was a certain disciple. Again, we have a certain disciple. We have a certain man. We have a certain disciple. So she was a follower of God. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. So it talks about her good works, good things that she did, and the charitable deeds. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. When they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Now, you notice that her good works and kindness are noted, which shows that all these will not bring healing or prevent sickness. We'd like to think that, but good works and kindness will not bring healing, nor will it prevent sickness. But most times when we have a need from God, we want to throw up our good deeds and our charity. But God, <laughs> look what I've done. <laughs> it doesn't ha- it didn't help Dorcas. She's well known throughout the city for her charitable deeds, giving of alms, helping the poor. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. It would seem to indicate that she became sick with something that did not seem life-threatening. And you know, it's just well she She's just not feeling right. Maybe she has a headache. Maybe she's, uh, uh, I just lay down here for a little while. And then it got worse. And we don't know how many days this was going on or how long of a period of time this was going on. But eventually she died. And I think people were kind of surprised. Well, she'll get better. Well, she's not getting better. She's, she's been worse. So they washed her and they laid her in an upper room. Now, the fact that this lady has an upper room tells you that she's got some money. Because most people lived in a single floor home. Most of the time, it was a single floor, single room. That's it. No upper room. But she's got an upper room that's not only big enough for her to, to put her in, but there's a crowd up there. We'll eventually see that there's a crowd that goes in the upper room there. So the upper room is big enough to handle a bunch of people. Then they got the lower rooms. Now, the upper room in, the, in those days is usually smaller than what's underneath of it. You're not going to have the upper room bigger than what's underneath of it, but usually it's uh, something that's smaller sandwiched up on top. And her upper room was big enough to hold people. So she became sick and died, and they washed her, and instead of putting her right into the uh, tomb, into the grave, they decided to put her in the upper room and hold her there for a little bit because they knew Peter's nearby. Let's go get Peter. And since Lydia was near Joppa, And the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. Don't, don't, don't be late on this. We need you now. He's over there and, and lit up. They're having all, they're having revival. He's got somebody going around. He's torn. He wasn't looking for him. He got healed. We're going around this tour. We're getting people saved. And you want me to leave? (laughs) Yeah, we got this woman who died. Well, Peter was looking for Aeneas. And Aeneas helped change the city. So what's he going to do now? Oh, we got another situation. Boy, God can work in this one too. And when God works in this one, guess what's going to happen? Revival's coming. So Peter leaves and he goes. And Peter rose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room. And all the widows stood by weeping, showing the tunics and the garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. So they're lamenting her. You know, they got all these garments, all these things that she made. She made garments. She made clothes. And she probably made some clothes and gave them to people who needed them. She may have sold some and gave some of the money that was there. It would seem that Dorcas had married someone fairly well off. And it, since we have no husband mentioned, it seems that he's already dead. It would just, we're just we're guessing at this part, but it seems that he's already dead and that she is the survivor. 
She does not have to make these things, probably. She's got a nice home, and he probably left her with some, some stuff to take care of her. But she's still doing this simply because she has charitable deeds. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed. Remember a time that Jesus put everybody out? So if we examine those two situations, you're going to see some differences on it. Jesus came to Jairus' house, and there were the professional mourners, people that you hired to come in and cry for you. This is what they did. This is how they celebrate. You know, every every uh, culture has different ways that they handle death and funerals and so forth. This is the way the Jewish people did. They would hire people. They'd have people, you know, we are professional mourners. We will come in and we will cry for you. We will wail for you. We will mourn. We don't even know who they is. But we, can, we can get really upset. And if you're really good at, at, at crying, then you could take this job and make some money. And so they would hire them. And not just one or two. They hired, they'd come on in and multitudes would come on in. And you'd have all these people wailing and moaning and making a ruckus. Because that's what they wanted to do. You may say, I don't like that. I don't like it either. <laughs> I wouldn't want that going on. But apparently that's how they did it. And uh, Jesus, when he comes into this and he says, she's not dead, she's sleeping, they all laughed at him. Now, again, this is not genuine mourning. They're hired to mourn in Jesus' case. So they can immediately go from being sad to jeering Jesus and making fun because they're, they're not believers. They're not believing that Jesus is going to do anything. Besides, if Jesus does do anything, they're out of a job. They lose their work for the day. Two days, however long that they're hired for. I don't know how long they hired them to, uh, to mourn and to make a fuss and all that sort of stuff. But whatever the time period they did, they won't have a job anymore. They'll probably have to, you know, we're, we know we, we hired you for a week, but we, we don't need you anymore. She's alive. <laughs> so this is not a good thing for, for Jesus to come on the scene. So they uh, kind of picked on that. And Jesus put them out because we don't need that unbelief around here. He put them all out, except mom and dad. Get them out. And then, and then Jesus ministered to the, to the one with all the doubt and unbelief out of the room. We don't need to have that around. There are some times that people around you are filled with doubt and unbelief. You need to get them away. Or you need to get away from them. They're not helping you. Again, multitudes of people to pray for a situation does not help. All you need is a one or two or a few people in faith. You can turn all kinds of things around. Don't get a, don't just try and involve people that you know are not going to be in faith about it. So be, Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed, seeking God on this thing. God, I know this is not your will. This is not what you wanted to, to have going on. The power of God turned this thing around. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, Arise. Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, this is about the same thing that Jesus said. If you remember the, the words that Jesus had, had mentioned, Jesus gave it in Aramaic. Again, her name is an Aramaic name. Peter says the Aramaic name, not the Greek name. Jesus' command was Tabitha Kumai which is to say, little girl, arise. Peter says, Tabitha, arise. He says just about the same thing. I don't know if he was mimicking what Jesus did, putting all the people out and then saying this thing, but he prayed first. He got what needed to be done. And then he says this. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. Now, again, Jesus did put them all out to get rid of unbelief. Why does Peter put all these people out of the room? These are people that are grieving. These are people that sent for Peter to do something. They have to have some belief that Peter on the scene can change this. They, want, they sent two guys out there to get him. Go get Peter. And when you get him, tell him not to be slow about coming. Come on. Get over here now. They didn't bury her. They left her in the upper room. This is out of the norm for them. They have to have some faith, some expectation that Peter can change this. Peter can do something that this thing can turn around. But when Peter comes to them, they begin to talk to him about works and deeds. So Peter had to get rid of the pride or the works mentality. Look at who she is. Remember when the um, uh, centurion sent the people? He first sent the leaders of the Jews. And they came to him and says, this man is deserving of a miracle. 
this man is deserving of you coming to him. He's built all these things. He's done all these things for, for us. He's deserving of it. And when the man got, the centurion got wind of it, he sent his friends over to him. And he says, no, 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 they got it wrong. I thought they'd be able to reach it, but they got it wrong. Just say the word. Just say the word. And Jesus said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And so he said the word and he went on his way. When Jesus came to Jairus' home, he put him out because of unbelief. When Peter comes to this place, he puts them out because they're all looking at what she did. Works and pride. She's deserving of being healed. She's deserving of... Look at what she's done. Look at her good works. We've got to get ourselves off of that. You need to put that stuff out of the room. When you need something from God, do not lean on your good works and your charitable deeds. That doesn't move God. What moves God... I mean, God appreciates it. But that doesn't move Him. What moves Him is faith. Faith in His Word. Verse 41, Then He gave her His hand and lifted her up. And when He had called the saints and widows... He presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed on the Lord. Now, she doesn't go on tour. <laughs> Aeneas went on tour. She doesn't go on tour. She goes back to what she was doing before, but the news traveled. She's already pretty well known, and the news of her just, just uh, traveled, and now she's back in there making her stuff and charitable deeds and good works and so forth. All that kind of stuff is, is going on. Now, the city of Lydda was burned by the Roman Cestius during the time of Nero. And Joppa was destroyed a few years later in A.D. 68. So these two cities are destroyed. There's a lot of people who were killed in there. May have, some of them may have been Christians. But because of these two miracles, Aeneas and Dorcas, because of these two miracles, many people were born again. So if they did die in these sieges... If they did die when the attack came, at least they went on to heaven. Maybe they got born again and God gave them a warning to get out. We don't know what happened to them, but what we do know is the gospel was preached. People received it because of what was done here with these two, two miracles, these two situations. And so we got this revival now going on in Joppa. We just had one going on over there in, in the other city. Now we come over here to Joppa. We got another revival going on because of a miracle. We got two revivals going on because of miracles. And it's not multiple miracles. It's one miracle in each city. One notable miracle with one notable person of affliction. One who's been afflicted for eight years. One who just died. That no one expected. So here in Joppa, they're going to ask him to hang around for a little while. And in verse 43, so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa with Simon, a tanner. Now you've got to get a, the, the, the scenery of this. Peter is in the city. They call him to the city. Miracle happens. Word spread. People are coming to the gospel. What's Peter going to do? Leave? No. No, he's got people to minister to. He's got to get people filled with the Holy Spirit. He's got to get people baptized and born again. He's going to have more people coming for healing. He's going to minister to more people for healing. He's going to get them healed. He's going to get them saved. He's going to get them filled. He's going to be doing these things. And in order to do that, they said, you know, you're going to need to be here for a little while. So we're, we got a, we got somebody that you can stay with. You don't have to. They'll take care of everything for you. They'll feed you. They'll put you in a room. They got they got space. They already said they had space. Would you would you stay on for a little while? And Peter probably says, Yeah, I'll stay on. Good, good. Simon's the guy's name. Come on, we'll take him over. And so they go over to the house, and I'm sure they didn't announce this to him, but they found out when he gets there that Simon is a tanner. No big deal, except that a tanner. The business is considered to be unclean by Jewish people because you are dealing with carcasses. You are dealing with dead skin. It smells awful is what I'm told. The process they use smells awful. There is a verse in Leviticus that talks about this process, that it is uh, unclean. But Peter viewed it as unclean. And so when they bring him on over, he's probably already agreed. Yeah, yeah, I'll stay. And all right, come on over. And he's getting closer. We're staying at the Tanner's house. <laughs> now, if you're Peter, what do you do? You already agreed to stay. Probably already agreed to stay. And then you come upon the house, you find out it's a Tanner's house. And it smells. But, you know, if something smells, you get used to it after a while. I don't know if you've ever, have you ever been around um, uh, some of the farms after they fertilize. Oh, man. Now, that's just when they fertilize with cow. 
there was a place I used to live at for a while, and uh, I used to, you know, going out and running. When you go out and run, you know, you breathe everything in really deeply. And this one farm that I would run near, they fertilize not with cow but with pig. Oh, you have not smelled horrible until, I mean, horse manure, no big deal. Cow manure, not nearly as big a deal. Pig manure, it is really elevated as much as the horse and the cow. Oh, you don't know how bad it is for a pig. It, it must be the stuff they eat. Whatever it is, it is awful. It gets to be so bad, you don't want to, you want to change the running route so that you are not running by. And it was a beautiful running route. I loved that running route. But, oh, it was so smelly whenever they fertilized. And I didn't really have it down as to when they would do it, so I wouldn't find out until you are running by the place. And you're, you can't hold your breath. <laughs> You're in a car, you can close the windows, you can hold your breath, you know, in 20 seconds, you can be pretty far down the road. But in 20 seconds, you don't get that far when you're running on by the place. You will be there, you'll be breathing in lots of that air, and it's it's not fun. I've been through it, it is not good. So here's he's in this awful place. If you're wondering why in the next chapter, Simon Peter is up on the roof. <laughs> it's probably a place he spent a lot of time at because it smelled in the house. Because of the process. So he goes up on the roof to try and get some fresh air. I'm, I'm sure that's part of what it is. So Simon gets to stay at a house where they do things that he considers to be unclean. He goes up to the rooftop and gets a vision about things that are unclean. Is that not something? <laughs> oh, man. Simon at the house of the tanner. So it's just kind of thrown in there at the end, and you might just read over it and not really figure out what all that is, but here it is. Peter stays at Simon the tanner. And it's just kind of add that. Now Luke knows exactly what he's putting this in here for. And the readers, the Jewish readers, oh, he stayed at the tanner's house? Oh, man, that had to be hard for me. They, they understand what's implied. They don't have to, you don't have to get into the detail. We understand what's going on there. All you had to do there is put in there, he's a tanner. And that's all that was that was there. So here's the here's the end part here. Do we believe that injuries are in a different category than disease? <laughs> Do we believe that injuries are in a different category than disease? The few times we see injuries in the Word of God, the few times that we know that injuries are involved, understand that some people that are blind may have been blind because of an injury, but we're not told why they were blind. There are some people who may have had some other conditions and maybe the cause was an injury. We don't know. It wasn't made, made note of. We only have a handful of them. But in those handful of cases where an injury was done, the ministry of God was still there. But it was not authority, an, an authority thing. So you can't sit there with injuries and just sit there and take authority over the injury because you're not dealing with sickness and disease. You're dealing with miracle. Look at what Peter did. Aeneas, Jesus the Christ heals you. That power is going on here right now. Jesus the Christ heals you. That power is going on. And you've got to take that. The power of Jesus Christ came into my body and healed me of that affliction. There's not a single time of the few times that we have it listed. The, the man with the withered hand, the, the guy here. The few times that we have people that were injured. There is another time too, Paul, when... Um, uh, the guy who fell out. That's an injury. He died because of an injury. He, he died because of sickness and disease. He died because of an injury. That's a pretty obvious one. But uh, when you have that going on, the power of God will go into heal. It's not something you have to keep on coming back to God. Well, heal me again. Oh, fill me with more power. No. Aeneas was filled with enough power. The Spirit of God came upon him. Jesus the Christ heals you to the point that he'd get up and walk and made a tour of the city. And the, the next door one, too. They went around. They went, they went all over talking about what Jesus did. See this guy? Remember him? Yeah, he was sick. Look, look what Jesus did. You want some of that? Oh, yeah, yeah, we want some of that. Come on. <laughs> and that's what they went around doing. And so he got well enough that he got to go out there and do all that. We got injuries. You cannot treat them the same as sickness and disease. But the power of God is sufficient to take care of an injury. There's not a single time that we ever have in the Word of God that Jesus asked, 
Did you do something stupid? <laughs> Is it your fault that you're injured? But how many times do we do that? Does we hear that from the, our head. The enemy comes in. Well, you're injured because you did something you shouldn't have done. You shouldn't be doing that. And you did it. Yeah, I guess I did. I guess I need to just live with it. I don't know. Now, Brother Hagen talked about an injury he had, and God told him, he said, you'll have 95, whatever it was, it was a percentage of, uh, of use in that elbow, because he shattered it. He shattered his elbow, leaped over an altar, and uh, to avoid a tape recording device, tried to, al- tried to alter his, his uh, landing, and uh, landed funny, finished preaching the service, but when he went to the hospital, they said, you shattered your elbow. And the Lord Jesus came into his uh, room and talked to him about it, and said, now you're only going to get 95%. And it's not because he just was disobedient and, and did something leaping over the altar or anything like that. He says, I told you not to do this. And that's when he told us, he said, uh, when, he, when you hit a certain point, when, you are, when your body's tired, you need to rest. And he said, I told you not to push beyond that point. And you did. So this is going, you're going to have 95%, whatever percent of 90%, 95, 95% use in that elbow. But you said you're going to have that little reminder there to remind you. Now, that was for a reason. But again, he, he's at a different level of obedience than a lot of people walk in. <laughs> and, uh, and God expects him to, to obey. If you get up to that spot, that might, might happen to you. But otherwise, God will heal you. But it's the power of God coming in, healing you. When you receive that power, it's done. And you can get up and do some things that you hadn't done before. The man who was at the uh, the pool, I'm not sure that we know why he was uh, he was paralyzed. We just know that he was. Could have been sickness or disease. Could have been injury. We don't know what that was. It could have been either thing. But he just told him, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. You're going to find out that most people who were injured, in fact, the few times that we have it in the Word of God, the people that were injured were simply told to do something they couldn't do. That was it. And they acted on it. They didn't tell themselves to do it. They were told by someone to do it and they acted on it. And they received that healing. So, if we believe that injuries are in a different category than disease, they're still healed. Sickness and disease comes under the authority. You speak to it, it goes. So the centurion said, I tomb a man under authority. I say that this one go and he goes, this one come and he comes. You just say the word and my servant will be whole, will be well. That palsy will go. And, and Jesus did it. But there's sickness and disease is under authority. Injuries are not under authority. But they're healed by the power of God. Our faith needs to catch hold of something. So what is it our, our faith is going to catch hold of? For Aeneas, he needed to catch hold of the statement that Peter said. And he did. And he immediately acted on it. The man... With the, by the pool, had to catch hold of what Jesus said. And he did, and he immediately acted on it. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. So he rose, took up his bed, and walked. <laughs> did exactly what was, was told. Jesus' instructions are usually pretty simple. They're not, uh, they're not usually all that complicated. The man with the withered hand, he said, stand forth. He stood forth. As uh, Weiss puts it, be arising in the midst. There's all sorts of stuff going on in that room. And he says, I want you to rise up in the midst of all this stuff that's going on. He's probably saying, I do not want to be here. And he says, stretch forth your hand, but I can't. He didn't say that. He stretched it forth. And as soon as he did, it was whole. There are times that God will challenge you to do something that you know you cannot do. And in that instant, you have the ability to obey or to disobey. But it will change the direction of your future. Be ready for it. Don't overthink it. If the Word of God comes to you and says, do this, do it. There is no case in the Word of God where anybody said, but I can't, and succeeded. There is no case in the Word of God where somebody said, well, are you sh- do I need to do it now? No. There is no, no response from the people, verbally. Only response in those cases is the action that they did. We've got to get that down. Because you are going to have those moments in the future. You will have those times for something that you're believing on, something you're believing for, 
And in a moment, God is going to say through somebody or directly to you, do this and you need to do it. And I'll sit there and question it. Well, let me consider that for a week. Be a week too late. So I put this in there. In there. We've uh, answered some of them. We've put some thought to it, see if you can come up with any others. But how many people in the Gospels were healed of an injury? Now, we don't know when they brought multitudes before Jesus. We don't, do, not, do not know how many were sick and how many were injured. No idea. The Word of God doesn't even try and uh, separate. It just says that they all were healed. You've got to think, out of a whole multitude of people coming to him that are sick, not all of them with sickness and disease. Some of them were injured. And Jesus still healed them. We've got to get off this kick that it matters how we were injured. Whether we were stupid, whether we were disobedient, all that sort of stuff. If it matters, God will tell you. If God isn't telling you, it's probably the enemy telling you, trying to keep you bound up, and keep you wrapped up into something that you shouldn't be, shouldn't be done. But here's the other thing to take from this. We all want revival. We want people's lives to change that we are around. So answer yourself this. If you are praying for revival, if you're praying for people to get born again where you work, where you live, in your family, are you willing to find a certain man or a certain woman? Are you willing to find them? Peter found Aeneas. Look for them, found them, and revival came. Are you willing to find the tough cases? Lay hands on them, do whatever the Word of God says to do in that situation. Speak that thing, challenge that person. Are you willing to do it? Because the situation will come for you not only in the area of receiving ministry, but also in the area of giving ministry. That the word may come to you, go over to that one, speak to them, say this to them, and they will be healed. You need to listen to it. You cannot come back tomorrow. You need to do it then. You need to be ready to do it then. I need to be ready. You need to be ready. We all need to be ready wherever we are. When God says, go over to that person and say this. Really? I should do that? Mm-hmm. Yep. We need to be obedient for it. Not only that, when we're just in a situation and God speaks to us, we need to sometimes be ready to go out and find them. Father God, I am looking for Aeneas. I'm looking for a situation like Dorcas. Because when the people see that you minister life in this way, they will receive the gospel. Two cities... Two healings, two revivals. One person. One person. Peter. Peter's getting bold. As bad as Peter was, as many mistakes as Peter made, look at what Peter is doing now. As many mistakes as we may have made in the past, glory to God. (laughs) We can be a Peter. And we can turn. Father God, we thank you for the help that you give us. We are ready to be a Peter in our life. We are ready to turn the corner. We are ready for you to speak to us things to say, to challenge people in their situations, that if they will act on it and they will do it, the power of God will go out and they will be healed. They will be set free. Father, we thank you that that same power it's going about the world today. Just as Peter said earlier in the book of Acts, why look on us as if by our own godliness and power we made this man to walk? It's not our godliness. It's not our power. It's yours. And we know that. We are just merely ministers of that power. Thank you for the help that you give us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.